Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2018-2019 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge in our AAC Tournament Preview Show. On today's show, we'll wrap up the regular season. The Shockers are on a hot streak to end the season. We'll get you ready for the week in Memphis each game, give you a preview of the teams, the matchup, the brackets, and how far we think the Shockers will go. Great show coming up for you right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor, we were off last week, so the final four games of the season, all Shocker wins. The Shockers come in pretty hot, winners of their last nine out of 11, four out of five of those on the road. So, you know, when the team started one and six, did you think we'd get to this point where we're talking about a winning uh, record in conference play and maybe going into the AAC tournament with some momentum? Yeah, I mean, it's not far from where I thought this team would be. Uh, if you guys recall, I mean, I, I said that this team would go 9-9 nine and nine in the conference. I said if uh, Echenique was healthy, I probably would pick them 10-8. and eight. So um, not that much of a surprise. I, I kept telling people at the start of the conference play that, you know, this is uh, a lot to do with the schedule. They're playing all the best teams early on. Uh, you know, I, I told people the week that they played SMU and Tulsa at home, if WSU loses one of those games, then you can start to get worried. Uh, obviously, they didn't. They've kind of turned around their season now. You know, they're pretty much the hottest team in the American uh, outside of Houston, obviously, the, the conference champions. But anybody else, uh, WSU has the second-best record in the last 11 games in the American. So, Shockers, plenty of momentum going into Memphis and you know, obviously UCF, Temple, Cincinnati, the NCAA tournament teams, those guys are going to be, you know, probably favored ahead of Wichita State. But, you know, I would not want to see the Shockers in March, a Greg Marshall team. You know, they've been here, done that before. So uh, this is a Wichita State team I would not want to face if I'm a higher seed. Three wins by a buzzer beater in the last five weeks, and the last one was not one you'd expect. You'd have to go on the road at Tulane, who was 0-17 in conference. You and I were both there in New Orleans. How special of a moment was that for Dexter Dennis? I'm telling you, if Dexter's family was not there, there would have been no one there. It looked worse than a high school gym Dozens and dozens. I mean, there were a lot of fans dressed as empty seats. So, I mean, how cool of an experience was that for Dexter in front of all of his fans? or family and friends, and the fact that has made no shots all game, had four fouls, kind of struggled, comes up with the game winner. Yeah, absolutely. He had 80 people there, friends and family, to watch him. And I actually sat down uh, on the in the stands kind of next to them to start the game. I kept waiting to you know for Dexter to do something nice, and they start cheering and get like a nice crowd shot and be like, okay, here's all Dexter's supporters. And kept waiting and waiting and I waited the entire first half I sat over there the entire first half and nothing happened 
over four shooting, four fouls, wasn't playing great defense, and uh, then like you said, uh, really, I mean, you give props to Greg Marshall for putting him in that position. Uh, trusting him to make that shot and he had a really good quote to me after the game saying that he doesn't look at it he doesn't think of it as 0 for 4 in the game he thinks of the the hundreds if not thousands of shots he's seen him shoot in practice he thinks of it you know the whole the body of work the last month when you know Dexter's been shooting like 45 percent from three and he trusted Dexter to to you know be able to step up and make that shot and Dexter had the poise and uh, you know, you saw after he made the shot almost, I mean, he was a, a cool and calm customer. I mean, he did not react at all, uh, especially, I mean, talking to him after, I asked him, like, did you did it feel good coming off your hand? He's like, actually, that was the, the worst one. I thought that one was not going in. I thought the other four were going in. I, that He said that was the, the one that surprised him. So, uh, obviously, did not show it. What do you think of that reaction? Is that is that like a is that a boss move to just have no reaction, or did you want to see him kind of get into it a little more in front of the the friends and family? Well, the good thing was the whole dang team ran over there and they were all going <laughs> crazy. So I almost thought it was an even cooler moment because he's kind of calm, cool, and collected, and everyone else is going crazy around him. Ends up being the number three top play on Sports Center that night and the next day. And you know, here's another you know, fun little tidbit. I listened to Coach Marshall's radio show last night, and he said that another reason they ran the play for Dexter is because he has such a quick release. Yeah. He mentioned Samaje, for example, and this is anything against him, but is a little bit more of a motion towards the yeah. ground and then he's going to come up whereas Dexter has a little closer to that Landry Shamit release which now we see him you know banging down three pointers all it. the time in the NBA yeah he's just absolutely killing it in the NBA um, yeah Clippers fans I, th- I don't think they knew how good he was before he got there and I think he's been a, a pleasant surprise but that's a, that's a great point too the Dexter quick release and funny you should mention that because Samaje was wide open at the top of the key on that play um, you know if uh, Ricky waits a, a tick longer I mean, Smaja is wide open, but like you said, I mean, Smaja kind of swings it up and to his left side and not the quickest release. And uh, give credit to Marcus McDuffie on that play, too. Uh, he made a hard cut into the basket and uh, confused Tulane's defense, and that's why they were a step late on the help, and Dexter was able to swing around the, the three-point line and get that open shot. You brought up Marcus McDuffie. He finishes as the team's leading scorer in the regular season, averages 17.9 points per game, and makes second team all AAC. Those awards came out on Monday. And Taylor, on your Twitter account, uh, at Taylor Eldridge, you had a little uh, bit of a case for maybe he should have been a first teamer. Yeah, I think this is a case where you know reasonable minds can can disagree. I, I can see the case for B.J. Taylor. It basically came down to him versus Marcus McDuffie. And, you know, you I, I couldn't believe Shiz Alston wasn't unanimous, but the other three guys, you know, Jaron Cumberland, Corey Davis, Jeremiah Martin, you know, those are the clearly three best players, and Shiz Alston's the clear four. So, you know, fist ball was kind of open, and, you know, you look at McDuffie's stats, they're, they're better just raw totals, uh, raw averages than B.J. Taylor. Um, the efficiency kind of favors Taylor. He's a more efficient scorer, but you have to factor in, you know, the team, um, you know, the workload, you know, Marcus didn't really have a consistent number two scorer for much of this season. I know Samaje ended up, I mean, the, the numbers look like it, he's a number two, but he's kind of been all over the place. And, uh, you know, Marcus had such a good first, you know, 20 games of the season. He kind of faded down the stretch. Maybe that's fatigue. 
Maybe that's just the defense is wearing on him. And I think that that maybe had something to do with it where he just didn't play very well, you know, or didn't shoot very well, I should say that, the the final second half of the, the conference schedule. I just did a story today, and uh, I was looking up the shooting numbers during this 11-game stretch when Wichita State has turned its season around. So WSU goes 9-2, and two, but McDuffie is shooting 38%, Samaje is shooting 37%. So it just shows you how far along this team has come. Uh, you know, if they if they do that the first 20 games, you know, WSU is just, you know, tanking. They're, you know, maybe five wins. You know, those two were just carrying the Shockers early on, and it really shows the progress of these younger players. You know, Jamarius Burton, Dexter Dennis, uh, Jaime Echenique has been very consistent. Asbjorn Meekard, very good. So those four guys have kind of really stepped it up. They're carrying a little bit bigger load. WSU's not reliant on the two seniors. You know, they don't have to have good games for WSU to win. And that was kind of my biggest takeaway these last four games. You know, you look at the the four games, WSU did not play very well on offense in any of those four games, but they still found a way to win. Uh, The buzzer beater against UConn, the buzzer beater against Tulane, and then just two great defensive efforts against uh, SMU and and East Carolina. So, um, you know, that's... The next step for this team is kind of finding ways to win when you don't play perfect. And uh, I think, you know, it's either win ugly or, or go home and, and lose pretty. So I think the Shockers are fine winning ugly, and that's a that's a step in the right direction for this team. Two-part question for you. We're 30 games in here through the regular season. Who, and you can only pick one, do you think is the most improved player over the course of that 30 games? And then as an amendment to that, now through the end of the year, so including the games in Memphis as well as any postseason, you know, which player do you think could even make some continued development? Man, I'm going to go for the season, Asbjorn, um, just because he was, you know, out of the rotation basically. And he he has been crucial especially with Udeze's injury. Uh, you know, Poor Bear has been so up and down. Uh, WSU, you know, Jaime can only play about 20 minutes a game, so WSU was in desperate need of someone to step up and fill in that backup center role, and Asbjorn's really rose to the occasion. And, you know, you look at what, where he came from and where he's at right now, um, just a lot a lot of improvement, and obviously he's gotten a chance to play. And, um, you know, the the scoring has been a pleasant surprise. I thought he was just going to be more of a defender and, and rebounder. And uh, he's really, you know, impressed me with some of these post moves that he, he's doing. He has that kind of like that no-look uh, hook shot that he likes. And uh, he's obviously showed uh, a soft touch from out to, you know, about 15, 15, 14 feet. So he's been a pleasant surprise for me. Um, you know, Jamarius Burton's another one that's taken a pretty big leap. And then off, also Dexter, would those two would kind of be my, my two runner-ups. Asbjorn for the whole season. And then in terms of in Memphis, I think Jamarius Burton can take the biggest leap. You know, he hasn't, he's played so well uh, handling the ball. Uh, I think in that 11-game stretch, he's averaging five assists, uh, less than one and a half turnovers. So assist-to-turnover rate is excellent. Uh, rebounding the ball well, defending better, just not shooting it well. You know, he's shooting 38%. He's getting a lot of shots blocked at the rim. Uh, love to see that aggressive aggressiveness, but um, just not finishing very well. So I think he can take the biggest leap just because his shooting numbers are so low. I think they're like 38%. So I think if he can get that jump shot going, if he can start finishing better around the rim and you get the offense to, to go along with the ball handling and the defense and the rebounding, I think we could see a big leap from him. 
A lot of folks have talked about how this has been one of the more impressive jobs by Greg Marshall in his years at Wichita State, just given the circumstances. My question for you is, can this season already be considered a success, or do you think anything else needs to happen, whether that be in Memphis or in the postseason, for it to be a success? You know, before the season, I, I wrote that article on kind of giving WSU fans an idea of, you know, where to expect this team to finish. And my kind of the, the after studying teams that were in similar conferences with similar losses, I came up with 18. That was the number of wins I had. So, uh, you know, that's what it's looking like right now. If they Humble win, brag. <laughs> yeah, not to brag a little bit, but. Uh, you know, this is right where I thought the Shockers would be. So I don't think it's necessarily a success. Um, I think if you look at it from, you know, the perspective of this team was one and six, you know, it's such a young team, you know, things could have easily just gone off the rails. You know, if they didn't have the right leadership in place, if they didn't have the right coach in place, uh, you know, these young guys could have just, you know, that losing takes a toll, especially when this is your first year, you don't know anything else. And, uh, you know, adversity hits like that. So I think in that regard, you know, which I'll say this is a success because they've finished the season so strong and, you know, 9 of 11, probably 10 of 12, and you're, you're looking at a nice quarter ma- quarterfinal matchup with Temple, and uh, who knows how that goes. So I don't think it, the, the season comes down to whether or not if they beat Temple in the quarters, but I think this has been a, a nice season, but it's right right around where I thought the Shockers would be. I think if they can get in the NIT, that's uh, – you know, get maybe 20 wins. That That's kind of the marker that I would look for to consider this season a success if they can get to that 21 marker. Those are all good thoughts. You know, they were picked to finish eighth in the conference. They end up finishing sixth. And there's an interesting article written by uh, one of the UConn guys a few weeks ago about how, you know, Wichita has one year where they back up, but they're so not used to losing. So you talk about losing, taking a toll. You know, they, they got that program right back on track, whereas UConn, you know, I do think they'll get back eventually, but they've seen several years here of struggling and kind of being in the bottom half of the AAC, and it's hard to reverse course after that happens. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and UConn's doing it with, you know, McDonald's All-Americans and and four and five-star guys, you know. uh, You know, Altery Gilbert, that guy's a five-star. Jalen Adams, five-star McDonald's All-American. You know, Josh Carlton, that guy's a top 100 guy. Uh, You know, Terrence Smith, I'm pretty sure he was pretty highly recruited too. So, you know, that that kind of puts things in perspective that, you know, (laughs) a a program like UConn with all that storied success – and, you know, good coach and, and Dan Hurley, even them, you know, they're struggling to get this thing back going. Uh, you know, you look at the last three years for them, 16 and 17, 14 and 18, 15 and 16 now. That's pretty depressing. And to consider this probably the, the absolute floor for where, where Wichita State will be, you know, for the considerable future. Uh, yeah, things are pretty good for the Shockers. The future for Wichita State is bright, and I also think the future of the league is bright. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll break down this week's AAC tournament in Memphis, get you ready for each game, and have predictions on where the Shockers will finish.
Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge in our AAC Tournament Preview Show. We'll start with Thursday's first round games and Game 1 tips at noon Central Time on ESPNU. It has 8-seed USF and 9-seed UConn. USF was just on the road and lost at UConn, which helped Wichita State jump them in the standings. But UConn has not been very good on the road or on neutral court. So USF finished 19-12 on the season, UConn 15-16. If you had to take a guess here, Taylor, who would you take? I'm gonna go with UConn. I think Jalen uh, Jalen Adams is back, so I think he's you know he's gonna be the best player on the floor. I think the Huskies are a different team with him. Um, you know USF, that's a that's a good story. I think Brian Gregory deserves a lot of credit for for overachieving everyone. What what everyone thought we they could do. Picked them 11th. I think the league picked them. I picked them 10th. Yeah, yeah so. and uh, I thought I had them pegged to like five wins, and yeah, to to get that many, I think they finished with uh, eight. So. Yeah, to to pick off some some pretty you know notable teams too. It's really impressive. I like UConn in this game. Game two tips at two p.m. Central, also on ESPNU. It'll be interesting to see the kind of turnout Memphis gets on its home court. Five seed Memphis versus twelve seed Tulane. Have to think the Tigers are going to move on there. Yeah, Memphis is going to uh, it's going to be a crazy atmosphere there. You know, these fans have been waiting all season for this conference tournament. They're going to pack it. You know, fifteen thousand. Um, so it's going to be a really tough environment for Tulane, and uh, yeah, I think Memphis rolls in this one. Night session tips at 7 p.m. Central on ESPN2, 7-seed Tulsa versus 10-seed SMU. This is, could actually be a pretty close game. Yeah, I love I love SMU's starting five. They just have, you know, they've just been ravaged by injuries and just don't have the depth. Not really a, a strong bench, but I, I like that starting five so much. I'm going to go with the upset. I'm going to go... SMU over Tulsa. I love Daquan Jeffries for Tulsa, but you know that that team just doesn't really you know do very much for me. So I, I like you know SMU shooting. I like Jamal McMurray. Uh, you know uh, Jimmy Witt is back now, so I think uh, the Mustangs will will get the ups the ten over seven upset there. And Shocker fans will have to drink the energy drinks. Their game tips at 9 p.m. Central on Thursday on ESPNU. They'll take on 11-seed ECU, who just played in Wichita there last week. And actually, one of the players for ECU got injured in that game, tore his ACL, and maybe changes the dynamic of this game. Yeah, ECU just doesn't match up very well with Wichita State. Um, you know, they're you know obviously they they've struggled all season regardless of the matchup. But Wichita State is able to you know Dexter Dennis has just done a really good job on their best player Jaden Gardner, and uh, you know you take him away and East Carolina is just not you know it's just a below average team. And uh, you know there are there are things that the Shockers have to do well to to win this game. But really you know they've done they've just completely shut East Carolina down. Uh, on defense both times they played them so um, you know, they've had pretty average offensive outings both of those games and they still won by you know 15 so I think the Shockers no problem they should take care of business here um, will be a good game to you know get used to the floor get used to the atmosphere the surroundings get the jitters out um, against a team that they're you know they should overmatch and, you know, get some confidence, get some mojo going, uh, going into tomorrow night or the, the next night's uh, game against uh, Temple. 
Coach Marshall did say they're going to go on Wednesday to Memphis, and we'll get about 45 minutes on the floor to shoot around and kind of get used to that. Actually played at Memphis in the opening game of the AAC season this year, so it's been a while since they've been there. We'll move on to the quarterfinals. Friday, March 15th, top seed Houston will take on the winner of USF and UConn at 11 a.m. Central on ESPN2. Houston pretty much, you know, it, it's tournament uh, spot at least is, is wrapped up. Probably the ranking is pretty close to being wrapped up, but you have to think they would at least uh, move on in this first game. Yeah, absolutely. I love, uh, I've said it from the beginning, you know, I love the Cougars. I picked them to win the American before the season started, before the conference season started, and I've been high on them, you know, since the summer, and uh, they've they backed it up, and they, they're looking like a, you know, legitimate, you know, three or four seed in the NCAA tournament. If they win the conference tournament, uh, you know, they, they only stand to, to move up, so they're going to be pretty motivated to, to get this done, and uh, yeah, the matchup I want to see is Houston versus Memphis. I think that's going to be a crazy atmosphere. We might get that the next round. Well, I have a theory on how Wichita State can end up in the championship and quite possibly win the championship, and it starts with this next game, Game 6, 4-seed UCF versus more than likely 5-seed Memphis. That's 1 p.m. Central on ESPN2. You have to think the home atmosphere, you know, US, UCF and Memphis aren't that far apart. This could be an upset, although UCF also needs it to, you know, kind of stay relevant in that NCAA tournament discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even know if it would be an upset because Memphis has been so good. I'd be curious to see the Vegas odds on that. I think it would be close to a pick em just because Memphis is so good at home. And uh, But, you know, UCF has been playing very, very well late. You know, they beat Houston and Cincinnati back-to-back. They did drop one on the road at Temple to close the year. But, you know, Aubrey Dawkins has been so good for them. Uh, you know, we talked about B.J. Taylor, how good he is. Taco Fall is a game changer. So, um, you know, UCF, uh, that's a really, really tough team on defense, and obviously they're improved on offense. So that's that's the game to watch. You know, if Shocker fans are going to go check out a game outside of a WSU game, that's a good one. You know, Memphis, uh, UCF, that's going to be a banger. 23-7 and seven on the year is UCF. So, I mean, I think they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. It's a pretty weak bubble. Yeah. So, you know, Memphis very well could be more hungry in that game. Oh, yeah. I mean, the dream scenario for the American is, uh, I don't know if, like, say, for example, Wichita State beats Temple the first round. I don't know if that knocks Temple off. But dream scenario for the American is that, you know, Temple gets in. You know, I think UCF gets in regardless. I think Temple is closer to the, the edge of the bubble. Uh, but dream scenario is that they get those four teams in and then Memphis or Wichita State wins the conference tournament. They get five in, which would be a, a record, I believe, for the conference. Dan Walken is a national college basketball analyst for USA Today, I believe, and he tweeted over the weekend that by next season, the AAC will have surpassed the Big East in basketball. I saw so that, yeah. I think a lot of people are starting to respect uh, not only uh, the teams at the top, but the overall depth in the league here. Yeah. Yeah, Pac-12 is, yeah, they're, they're fading hard, and I don't think anyone's arguing that now that the American has surpassed them. And, yeah, that would be big if, if they can move past the Big East, too. Game 7 in the night on Friday starts at 6 p.m. Central. Two-seed Cincinnati will take on the winner of Tulsa and SMU. If SMU is able to get past Tulsa like you predict, probably run out of juice against the Bearcats. Well, we'll see who uh, who shows up for Cincinnati. I heard Mick Cronin is, is holding tryouts today, so 
Uh, we'll have to see. Who knows who might show up uh, this week in Memphis for the Bearcats. So, uh, that I thought that was an interesting motivational tactic. Nate after. Barstool Sports, by the way, he was having football players try <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, he, he he literally yeah he he was very adamant that he was serious that no no one spot is guaranteed. Everyone has to try out again, and uh, we're taking anyone who's a student at Cincinnati if they want to come and try out. So, um, you know that's. You know they were up, I think four with six minutes left against Houston. Houston conference title, conference title on the line, and then they end up losing by sixteen at home. So yeah, that's a tough way for UC to go out. Um, they're kind of limping into the the conference tournament. You know they've lost back to back games now. Uh, you know obviously Jaron played Cumberland. SMU close actually. Almost yeah. lost to SMU. Yeah, SMU. almost uh, almost lost to Memphis too. That was a close game too. So uh, UConn the game before that UCF. You know they're. They're, they just don't blow people out, and, and you know, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this later, but Wichita State is on, you know, the right side of the bracket if they're going to make a run at this. You know, I would rather play Temple than UCF. I would rather play uh, Cincinnati rather than Houston, so I wouldn't want to play Memphis. I mean, all those teams are on the other side of the bracket, so, you know, you're, if you're looking at a path of Temple than Cincinnati, uh, that's you know that's that's the the path that I would want if I'm Wichita State. I feel like uh, you know Temple. That's a matchup that I guess we're going to talk to it uh, talk about it soon. But Cincinnati, you know, they're so reliant on Cumberland, and if he doesn't have a good shooting game, which he hasn't been lately, uh, they're they're just not a very good team in terms of you know comp- just because their defense isn't as good, and you know if Cumberland's not scoring twenty five. Uh, Cincinnati's kind of, you know, they're an above average team, but they're not a good one. I want to I wanna jump in here real quick and ask Taylor, why is it that you would want to avoid UCF? And the reason I ask that is Wichita State's one of the few teams that can trot out a 7-foot or a 6'11 guy to actually physically match up with them. And that's Wichita State's only win against the top four seeds in the tournament. So yeah. why, do you see, why do you see Temple... And, and their long athletic guards as a better matchup for Wichita State than... I, I, I like it personally better because, you know, they, just, they don't... I guess with, with Temple, I view them as, you know, Quentin Rose is such a volume scorer and he's just not efficient at all. That's a guy that can, you know, maybe shoot Temple out of a game. Uh, you know, obviously we know what Shiz Alston can do. Um, but all you have to do is just do a better, you know, they let Nate Pierre-Louis, that guy's not a very good offensive player. They let him go off last time. Um, you know, I think all you have to do is just do a better job on Shiz and, you know, not let him go for 30 and force more. You know, Quentin Rose had a good offensive game too, and these guys are capable. But, you know, Quentin Rose is just shooting. He's shooting 28% from three, and he's taking a ton of threes per game. So, um, I just I, I think with UCF, you know, they have Taco Fall, who's a game changer. They have, you know, Aubrey Dawkins, who I love. They have B.J. Taylor, who's really good. So uh, I guess it's just because you, I just view UCA, UCF's top of the lineup better. And then Temple just has no depth either. So you'd have to think that that has to start catching up. I mean, they play their starters so many minutes that maybe that catches up to them. I don't know. But I think that's another case where I can see, you know, you know UCF and Temple are pretty pretty similar um so I can see why you would want to play UCF more especially considering WSU has beat them before too 
Well, I mean, I actually wanted Temple and Coach Marshall and his radio show acted like he was a little more excited about that side of the bracket. Uh, people might forget the Shockers were up 13 with three minutes to go in the game at Coke Arena, which has been a long time ago. But so is the game against UCF at home. Both of those games were a long time ago, and these these teams are pretty different. I think, you know... UCF not only starts seven foot six Taco Fall, but they have a six ten guy right next to him. So if Echenique and Mitgard get in foul trouble, you know I, that there's not as much depth at that big man position as we might think if they're going up against two other you know pretty big guys. Yeah, and especially with that Udeze, you just don't know what you're getting with Poor Bear. Um, you know, if any, if Echenique or Asbjorn gets in foul trouble, that's you know it's it's a little concerning, but. You know, WSU, that is, you know, a source of, you know, good memory from the start of the season, just knowing that you can beat them. I guess at that point, you know, uh, they should have confidence because they know they can beat UCF and they know they should have beat Temple. So I guess regardless of who they were going to play, uh, they were going to have that kind of confidence going into it. So Right, um, either one's going to intimidate them. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, Houston, you felt like, man, they might be a, they just might be a cut above. Cincinnati, uh, they just have mucked it up, and you know this WSU can't get anything going on offense against them. So um, probably better to to wait another round to see them. So that game does tip at 8 p.m. Central Time on Friday on ESPNU. Semifinals are on Saturday. First game tips at 2 p.m. Central and will be the Houston winner more than likely versus UCF or Memphis. You know, pretty much folks are penciling Houston all the way to the championship. Do you see any team in the tournament that's going to slow them down at least until the championship, I mean, or would I, it be Memphis? Yeah, I think it's going to be Memphis. I think that's the the game to watch. If you know, that's a big if too. You know, Memphis has to beat UCF. That's going to be a really good game. But if they can get past them, that's going to be a big time matchup. You know, like I said, I just want to see uh, you know these these great teams, NCAA tournament teams, in that atmosphere. Uh, you know the the cr- the crowd is going to be crazy for for Memphis, so um, that would just be fun to watch personally. And uh, I think that's the the team that can give you know Houston the most problems. Um, but I I just I think they're so solid, they're so well coached. Uh, they would be my pick to win this. Um, but yeah, I think they're gonna they would be my pick to to make it from that side, the top half of the bracket. Last semifinal on Saturdays at 4 p.m. Central on ESPN2 if the Shockers are able to make it that far. And then the championship game at 2.15 Central Time on ESPN, which will lead into Selection Sunday there on CBS. So if you had to pick someone to win, who do you got? Well, obviously the safe pick is Houston. Like I've said, I've uh, I've been so high on them all year, so um, I would... I, I would pick Houston, but I will say, you know, it would not surprise me if Wichita State makes the championship game um, just because, like we've talked about, you know, that side of the bracket is the side to be on. And uh, I think that, that Houston is, you know, what I guess the, what it comes down to me for with Wichita State or what are the odds that they can, uh, you know, play back-to-back-to-back good teams and, and beat them, you know, back-to-back-to-back games. Uh, I could see them doing it once, maybe twice. I don't know if they can do it three times, um, but who knows? You know, maybe this team can can surprise us. And uh, you know, I would not want to bet against Greg Marshall in March. You know, he's he's been here, done that before, and um, I, I, you know, that he has them rolling. And like we talked about, they're finding ways to win when they don't play well. Uh, that's kind of a mark of a good team when they can do that. So. 
I think that's uh, that's you know it's it's gonna get some people nervous. Uh, that's not which whenever they play Wichita State, that's not like I said they're they're not a team that you want to see if you're a you know you're a three seed, you're a two seed. Let me ask you this: as far as Temple goes, potentially in the, in their second game. How well does Wichita State need to play against East Carolina to try and maintain some fresh legs going into that second game? Because Temple's going to come in fresh. You brought up that they don't have a lot of depth, but the advantage they have is that's their first game, and yeah. they're gonna they could play those guys thirty five to forty minutes. Yeah, and, and I don't yeah I don't know if like in uh, in tournaments like these where it's like a new it's a new surrounding, it's a new environment, it's a different, it's not really a different backdrop, I guess. I mean, it's an NBA arena, so um, there are some advantages to playing on that that um, that floor um, compared to just going in fresh, but I don't know if that's going to have much of a difference. I think that's more, um, more of a thing when they play these big arenas with bigger backdrops, and this one's a little bit more normal, so... Um, yeah, that is a, that's a good point. You know, Wichita State should take care of business business against ECU. This is a game where the walk-ons, you know, you're hoping that they, they finish out this game in the last three minutes and, uh, you know, save some legs for, for Temple because they're going to, you know, I, I have a feeling that WSU is going to, you know, bring the pressure. They're going to try to get the ball out of Shiz's hands. And, um, you know, they love putting that, that full-court pressure. And sometimes it, it's worked against them here recently. But, I think Marshall does like that to change the tempo of the game and and kind of wear teams down, especially because WSU has you know the depth advantage on on a lot of these teams. I'm going to be in Memphis this week. It'll be my tenth consecutive conference tournament with the Shockers, and after eight years going to St. Louis, I've learned a few things. There are some conspiracy theories when it comes to these conference tournaments, and sometimes you know the refs just give these tricky calls to the teams that are right on the bubble, or you know somehow a team uh, all, all of a sudden advances and steals a bid. So I would say look out for Memphis, look out for Wichita State. You could see Temple, you know, get some help to get to the NCAA tournament, but you know. As Greg Marshall once said, I've seen some strange things here in St. Louis this year. Yeah, we'll see if that, that happens in Memphis this year. Um, last year, I can't really remember. That was uh, didn't seem like anything weird happened. Uh, that Houston game. Rob Gray. Rob Gray. Assaulted Gray. my guy Austin Reeves at the end. Oh, man, that was... <laughs> Yeah, that was bad. Oh yeah, that is right. Yeah, on the when where the, he just went through the, him to get the ball. Yeah, off they the threw inbounds. it deep. Yeah, they threw that, it deep for the reference. Yeah, for the record, that was a that was a very bad decision though to try to do that. But yeah, I do remember that that he just went crashing into him and that was a no call. Yeah, that was a game of Wichita State. Yeah, they should have won that. Very much in. Yeah, yeah they, they should have won that. Um, Still ended up with an okay seed in the NCAA tournament. Right? Yeah, should have won. Yeah, yeah, four seed. That's that's really impressive. That just shows you how good the American was last year too. Is that that was a semifinal game? That's you know that's those two teams would probably be the the two favorites, and if they were playing in this year's American, but uh, you know you look at the the all conference teams that came out. You know a lot of a couple of seniors at the top, but you know a lot of really good returning talent coming back. And yeah, like we talked about, the, I think this league is definitely trending in the right direction a lot of Tulane's uh, got guys going off for 36 so yeah. everyone's got a guy at least against uh, Wichita everyone State that has seems at least to go yeah off. at least one guy and yeah I mean it's a good point you know even an 0 and 18 team like Tulane you know they they jack up a ton of threes so they can make things interesting if they're hitting and uh yeah like Caleb Daniels I mean that's that's a that's a dude so I think Caleb Daniels likes to go right <laughs> yeah maybe buy or sell time 
Okay, so <clears throat> we're hoping that uh, Wichita State has a good finish to the year, maybe goes on a miraculous run to make the NCAA tournament. But barring that, you know, conventional wisdom would say, hey, Temple's, you know, a really good team. They, they uh, you know, the odds are going to be in their favor to win that game. So Wichita State drops that game. Do they have enough to make the NIT? And if they don't, would they accept a bid to the CBI or CIT one? I think, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I think uh, they they would. They're going to be very, very close on the bubble. From what I can tell, I've done uh, some research on this NIT bracketology, and it seems like there's going to be a lot of auto bids, though. To, uh, there are a lot of leagues shared titles this year, so that's basically an automatic someone's going to the NIT. So uh, it's going to be, you know, I think WSU is in those last, you know, four or five teams that, that would be in at large to the NIT. And uh, I think they need to beat Temple to feel safe about it. Uh, if it doesn't happen, I still think they get in, but they're going to leave it up to chance. So uh, who knows what could happen then. So, yeah, just to take care of any, any questions, any doubt, just beat Temple, and you should feel safe about getting in. And I don't think they would do – I honestly don't think they would do CBI or CIT because I thought they would, and then I looked at the teams that actually play in those tournaments, and those are low, low major teams. So I don't think – a program with you know the prestige of Wichita State, I don't think that's a good move for them. Even with so many young guys, I know that sounds good to get them extra practice, extra games, but I just don't think that's the right move for Wichita State to, to play in a tournament like that. The competition maybe not quite. Yeah, up to I mean, they're, yeah, they're just like I'm talking like low, low, low majors. So yeah, no one, no, like I didn't even recognize like a mid major from that field last year. I'm going to buy that they would make the NIT. I also think there's some conspiracy theories with the NIT and Wichita State would sell <laughs> tickets in the event that they Get had a home game. Get his tinfoil hat. Uh, but uh, as far as I do think they would accept, I'm going to disagree with Taylor on this. Coach Marshall had a um, did his media call earlier this week, and I believe he referenced, you know, we'll go to Memphis, we'll see what happens, and then we'll play in whatever tournament after that. So not that that was a, an exact answer, but he seems to, you know, be into – uh, continued development. You know, you see football teams go play in the Digibooty Bowl uh, just so they can get an extra that? month of practice. And the so, Digibooty Bowl. You know, the, you know, all sorts of things. So I, I do think they could benefit from a little extra time together. It would be interesting in a situation like that if it's going to be like a bunch of lower level competition that they would maybe potentially even just shut Marcus and Samaje down and say, we're going to get you guys ready for pro careers and develop you for that. But for this tournament, we're going to only play the younger guys. And So here, here are the best teams in the CBI last year. South Dakota. I guarantee you there's a Mo Valley team in there. There is not, actually. South Dakota, Grand Canyon, Utah Valley, Kinesis, Jacksonville State, Eastern Washington, Seattle, Colgate, uh, Mercer, Jacksonville State this year. San Francisco, Central Arkansas, Campbell. So just teams like that, you know, Wichita State's in a class above. It's not that CBI has turned into not a not a tournament for you know mid majors, high majors, teams like that. So I don't think they get in, but who knows? You know, there there are benefits to continuing the season, especially with so many young guys. All right, so <clears throat> we've talked some about uh, the efficiency drop-off from Marcus McDuffie over the last uh, several weeks. There's been a few days off. 
We completed the regular season. Game was on Saturday. First game they're going to play is on Thursday. There's a few more days off. Do we see a rejuvenated Marcus McDuffie? Does he have his legs back just to have a, 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 good, a good closing kick here in the conference tournament? I'm going to sell we see a rejuvenated McDuffie, but I do think he's learned that you know, even if his shot's not going off, he can go for 15 just about every night. And they've talked a lot about, you know, Taylor mentioned even that both Marcus and Samaje, their production has fallen off maybe over uh, some of these last few games of the season, but the team has learned to win ugly. So I think, you know, he'll still be helping more from a leadership standpoint, even if the shots aren't going in the basket. And I want to buy that just because some of these shots that he's missing, I mean, they look good. They're like, they're right on target. They're just rimming in and out, uh, just doing crazy stuff at the rim. I, I think he does go off at least once in Memphis. I think we see a 25, 30 point game from him, hopefully for WSU's sake. Against Temple. Against Temple, yeah. So, um, you know, they're going to need a lot of firepower to win that game. That's a game I think is, you know, maybe first to 80. Um, maybe that that's what it takes to win it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think we see, I think he has one more good game left in him and, you know, it's been, you know, five, five weeks now, I think since he's had, I think four, he had one good game at the very start of the streak and then basically the 10 of the other 11 games, he just hasn't been shooting it very well. So I think he's got one more left in him. I, th- I think he goes for 25 or above, uh, in Memphis at least once. Is that a Taylor Eldridge promise? That's a Taylor Eldridge guarantee. All right, so Don't you know we, we talked about in this winning streak, Wichita State is finding ways to win ugly. They're playing better defense, uh, with the exception probably being the two-lane game, but significant improvement in the defensive area. But to win in the conference tournament, does Wichita State need to get on fire offensively, or can they drag the other teams down to play their style of basketball? I think uh, they don't necessarily have to get on fire, but they definitely have to be better on offense. I think they have to get not, you know, just a, just a tick better. You know, they're right now they're operating, you know, I think 1.05 points per possession on offense. If they can get that above 1.1, uh, then you're in business because I think WSU, their defense can, you know, hold these good teams to, to right around one point per possession. And if you do that, you know you're gonna you're gonna be in a lot of ball games. And uh, you know it, the Cincinnati matchup that's the one that that would concern me if I'm WSU just because they they just have no you know you watch all that film you know you have 80 minutes of just not much success on offense. You know how do we get our offense going against these guys? Uh, last time they played them at Coke Arena, you know Cincinnati was doing a crazy three-man switch on McDuffie. They really took away what WSU wanted to do on the pick and pop game, and um, so that's the matchup that concerns me. But with Temple, uh, like Dustin said, you know that was that was back and forth. That was a really well-played game. Uh, they just you know couldn't finish down the stretch. But like he said, you know that's a double-digit lead with three minutes left. So it's not like WSU can't get up on a team like that. So. I think uh, they don't have to go on fire, but they, they have to, to get a little more oomph on offense. I think Wichita State tends to play to its competition a lot, so I think ECU and Temple could both be higher scoring games. You see a game like Cincinnati, and that kind of grinds to a halt. Although I do think that they weren't you know, overmatched by playing Cincinnati. As Taylor mentioned, Cincinnati isn't playing great coming into the tournament. So you know, I, I think if they make even you know, 5% more of their field goals against Cincinnati, both of those games look a whole lot different. All right, so 
We, we talked some about the conspiracy theories and what it would take to get extra bids into the NCAA tournament. So this is your chance to put on the tinfoil hat. Is the AAC a bid stealer this year with somebody who would not get an at-large wins the conference tournament? I'm going to buy that. I think Memphis has got a really good shot. I, I don't think Wichita State is going to win the championship. I'll say that. Although if you squint, you can see a way that, that it could happen. But I think just too much for a team for four games over four days. But Memphis, that atmosphere, and, and, and maybe we're overselling the Memphis fans because at least to the first game for Wichita State, you can pick up general admission tickets for 6 bucks. So who knows how full this will be. But they do seem to really like Penny Hardaway. I think you know with Jeremiah Martin and, and the rest of the Memphis Tigers, they certainly have enough talent to do it, and why not in their own backyard? So I, I could see that happening, and then definitely the Shockers make the NIT at that point. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't know how many Memphis fans are just going to show up to the, the non-Memphis game, so it might be pretty sparse in, in the other games, but yeah, for the, the Tigers, that, that crowd's going to be crazy. I still, like I said, I, th- I think Houston's going to win it, so I'm going to say no, but I do think they're... I, th- I do think Memphis has a legitimate shot. And then just because of the way Jeremiah Martin is playing, he's averaged 29 in the last, I think, 10 or 11 games. And then Wichita State, maybe not a legitimate chance, but they do. They are like a dark horse. I would say that, you know, if 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 you're looking to bet, they would have pretty good odds or like the, 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 the good underdog pick to take in this tournament. Now, in looking at the NCAA tournament bubble, there's a lot of talk about some crazy teams making it, like NC State and Clemson and TCU. Texas. And Texas, teams that are just absolutely struggling down the stretch. And, uh, Ohio so, State. So, buy or sell, is the AAC a four-bid league this year? I'm going to buy it. I think all four of those teams that we talked about get in. Uh, I think UCF's in pretty comfortably I don't think they have to win in Memphis um I don't think if they lose to Memphis I don't think that that affects it I still think they get in Temple that one has me a little little questioning if Wichita State does beat them do they still get in I don't know but I think I just have a feeling that you know Fran Dunphy uh you know this is his last year everybody loves that guy so got a win over Houston and over UCF yeah I think that was enough to get the job done so I think they get in last four teams in um but yeah i think it would be exciting if if wsu and memphis could wreck the party and and move that up to five i'll buy that as well uh you know it's a weak bubble all you're going to hear about between now and sunday is should this you know mid-major team that's second in their conference get in over a power five school that is struggling and kind of middle of the pack there's so many of those examples this year the pac-12 has significantly changed the dynamics of the tournament. So, um, but uh, you know, Lenardi has had four AAC teams in pretty, pretty uh, strongly right now. So I, I like think who, want, who wants to watch OU play more? Like that's a team like that is just like there's there's seven and eleven in the Big Twelve. You know they've just not they got blown out at K State. They're just not very good and, and they're know, safely in. They're, they're safely like a nine seed. Yeah, that's that's the crazy. I mean they they did beat KU. I mean. That's and that's just like the the question that it always comes down to is you know you put these mid major teams, if you put them in the Big Twelve, yeah they probably do about the same. Um, but the question is, should you you know reward that success, reward you know twenty four twenty five wins over 
you know, just being average in a, in a good conference. Well, it's going to be all new this year, right? Because we don't know how the committee is going to treat the net. So there's some of this looking at, like, Oklahoma or NC State or Ohio State's performance, and they're struggling, and I you just really don't know how the committee is going to deal with it with their new uh, their new ranking system. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how they use that. And then, yeah, I mean, trying to look up guidelines for the NIT uh kind of doing some research there there really aren't any guidelines so um it's hard to say where wichita state even falls in this because you know there really isn't any set criteria for for the nit i have two fast questions for you guys bradley comes back after scoring 15 in the first half to win the missouri valley what seed would you give bradley and second question if wichita state pulls off the miracle four games in four days what seed do you think the shockers would get in the ncaa tournament Man, that's a good question. I haven't even done like bracketology. Isn't Brad Bradley's like looking at like a fifteen? I right? think a yeah. fifteen. That's but crazy. The lowest one in that's years, crazy. Yeah. What, yeah. How many wins do they have? Like, is it right at twenty or something like that? So, a uh, uh, a valley team right at twenty wins. Yeah, they're twenty and fourteen. Yeah, so I w- I would agree with that. I mean, there's a lot of losses there. I would probably put them in a fourteen or fifteen. WSU would be like what thirteen at the lowest, twelve at the highest. I'd probably put them a twelve or a thirteen. I mean, it's kind of weird because if you turn around and look at it, and you go, "Well, Wichita State just beat Temple, Cincinnati, Cincinnati Houston, Houston, yeah, on their resume. way through." You go, "Well, they did that, and they beat UCF in the regular season, and they beat Baylor, Baylor and they yeah. beat Providence, Providence, and and you're well, Providence starting isn't that good? Well, but." True, but I'm I mean, still holding on to that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, but they're kind of in that bubble. Area. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, and you start going, well, they beat all those teams, and you know, maybe they yeah, can the, make a case the that thing, they're in eleven. The thing I that I, know. yeah, looking at their their quadrant resume, um, the thing that stuck out to me was that they don't they don't have like these atomic bomb losses, basically that a lot of these team other teams do. You know, they, the Law Tech is the 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 one that sticks sticks out. That was the one Q3 loss, um, but yeah, they've taken care of business. You know, in the Q3, Q4, they don't have another bad loss, so um, that part is good. They have four quadrant two wins, one quadrant one. Um, you know, obviously, uh, if they get those three that we just talked about, you know, that's three more quadrant ones right there. So, you know, you would be be going into it with eight combined um, in the top two, with only one bad loss. Maybe they move up to 11. Who knows? Uh, we'd have to look at it a little bit closer. but It'd be fun to look at. You know, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, It'll be one hell of a podcast next yeah, week. Yeah, I mean, happens. you think about, like, if... Uh, Bring in the beer. How close they really were from being on that bubble. You know, if they take... If they just don't, you know... Temple. Temple, you finish Memphis, the deal with Temple. Memphis at home. Don't, you know... I don't know if you can say just uh, with the Law Tech loss, you know, if they just bring any kind of energy that night, just don't drop that one. Davidson. Yeah, Davidson. Then you probably lose in the semis, though. But you probably get a better game in the third place game. So Beat Alabama. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of games where you look back and say, like, man, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But Up on well, I mean, I'm, you could do that with Teddy Allen. Yeah, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Like, what if this Landry team had Shannon. Shannon. No, Teddy Allen? <laughs> <laughs> Austin Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> what if Rano Nerger came back? If he if he didn't have or if he could have redshirted. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good point, and I think that yeah, I. I think maybe 11. I think they could get up to that high. I mean, I like I said, I haven't looked at the NCAA tournament as closely, um, but that would be an interesting question. I think uh, that would be pretty refreshing uh, for Shocker fans to get back into that NCAA tournament seeding mode. 
We know Wichita State is still recruiting both 2019 and beyond. You had a good article this past week. Uh, is it uh, Grant Sherfield? Sherfield, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wichita kid moved to Dallas uh, uh, for high school, blew up, um, signed with UCLA, was a top 100 kid. Then obviously they fired Alford, so uh, they let him out of his uh, letter of intent, and it sounds like he wants to get this thing over with. He's kind of done with the recruiting process. so He's um, had to do it twice. Yeah, yeah, so it sounds like I think he took an official to uh, to Wake Forest. I, I know he wants to take one to Wichita State after the season, um, so I think we could see him decide, I think, before April is what it sounds like to me. Um, I know the signing date is in April, but I think he makes that decision beforehand. Uh, looks like it's coming down to you know Wichita State or Minnesota, um, just because Kyle Lindstead, former Wichita State assistant, that's where he's at now. Um, big ties with with Sherfield's uh, family. Uh, grew up uh, going to his camps, stuff like that, and he helped place him at Sunrise, which is where Sherfield's at right now. So a lot of uh, deep family ties there. Wichita State would have to you know. Go, uh, that would be a very impressive pull if they're able to, to beat uh, Linstead head-to-head and pull, you know, a four-star top 150 kid, uh, add him to this class. Tino won't be at Minnesota that much longer. So, we'll see. You know, you know, they I had think a, there's a more stable program here in Wichita. I mean, that's I mean, that's a selling point, too, is that, you know, WSU can kind of recruit against them and say, you know, who knows if Patino's going to be there all four years of your, your career. You know, you know Marshall's going to be here, so... Um, I think that that could be, you know, he's he still has family in Wichita. He grew up watching the Shockers. He mentioned, you know, watching Raglan and Malcolm Armstead, guys like that, uh, you know, Fred Van Fleet. So he knows about the Shocker program. He loves Coke Arena, loves the fans, loves the area, obviously. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. And, uh, you know, you bring in another point guard, another guy that can work on the ball. It's going to be interesting to see how things shuffle or th- how, how it, it finishes out next year uh, with, you know, bringing in Tyson ATN, bringing in Noah Fernandez, uh, then Jamarius Burton. You know, he's playing really, really well. I think he deserves a shot at that point guard going forward. So Marshall loves as many ball handlers <laughs> as he can get on Apparently, the Apparently. I, I mean, I'm over here like, you guys need a four. You guys need a power forward. Uh, go after one of those. Anthony Gordon. Yeah, I mean, I still don't know if he's going to be ready. I think they need to go after a grad transfer or a JUCO um, that can come in and play right away. And Because um, right now it's looking like, you know, you're probably putting Teddy Allen and then Dexter Dennis out there at the three and the four. And then, you know, Dexter's going to guard whoever the better player is and, and put Teddy on the other one. So um, it'll, it's going to be, I think WSU's going to play small next year and uh, stretch the the floor a lot, kind of like what they're doing with Marcus. You see a lot of AAC teams do that, though. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that tends to be the men. trend in the conference. It's yeah. going more towards a more guard-dominated lineup. Yeah, and even, you know, probably half the teams play a, a center that can shoot, too. So, um, yeah, I don't think that's going to hurt WSU, especially Dexter. You know, he plays bigger than his size. Um, you know, we're going to see at East Carolina, he's going to guard the you know their power forward. And you know, granted he's he's undersized, but still, I mean, he plays down low and is a banger down there. And Dexter can hang with guys like that, and he can run around the perimeter and and lock people up out there. So I think he's pretty versatile. They're gonna put him. You know, he's gonna play power forward on defense. He's gonna play small forward wherever you need him. And then you just put Teddy on whoever else. Uh, I think defense is gonna be the question with Teddy. Can he bring that that intensity on that side? 
or not. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in. Um, all sign, all reports I'm hearing is that he's still killing it in practice. People cannot stop this guy, and you know he's he's added that, that more consistent jump shot to his repertoire. So that was the only thing missing in his game in West Virginia. So it sounds like he's gonna. When you think about how are we going to replace Marcus and Samaje, you know you're looking at 30 points right there. Well, you know Teddy Allen's going to replace a lot of that by himself. As former guest of the program John Rothstein says, this is March. It'll be an exciting few weeks both in Memphis and wherever the Shockers head after that. We'll be back with you next week to break down either an NCAA or an NIT or whatever bracket there is, and we'll have great Shocker coverage for you through the end of the year.